Well, here we are. Kevin's Corner, we're back. Sorry, Eddie, I was sleeping a little bit. I, you know, kind of a boring product right now. So, um, you know, just, boy, kind of wrestling in my sleep a little bit here. We're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner after that horrific introduction. I guess it's reminiscent from the offensive product we saw on the field Sunday afternoon. Kevin Bowen, Eddie Garrison. On this Monday, November 7th, the Colts with, in my opinion, the worst offensive performance I've ever seen out of this franchise. Obviously, there's plenty of evidence behind that statistically, but just with my eyes, I thought yesterday was absolutely putrid. Um, I'll begin here. Imagine going up to Frank right before the game, Eddie, and saying, Frank, you are going to hold the New England Patriots to their lowest yards per attempt number in 12 years. And you're going to hold them to the fewest amount of yards you've given up all season. 3.3 the yards per attempt, uh, yards per play for New England. Again, the fewest for them since 2010, and you lose the game by 23 points. For that to happen, that needs to... um, Take a historically embarrassing, putrid, pitiful performance offensively, and the Colts said, hold my beer. And that's exactly what we got yesterday. Nine games into the season, the Colts are 3-5-1. and one. Ironically, the Pacers are nine games in the season. Eddie, the Pacers have more wins than the Colts. That's why I said uh, last pod, go Pacers. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, unbelievable yesterday. We will break it all down. We'll get to Twitter questions as well. Just overall thoughts, and again, I want to focus a little, obviously, which I like that we do this, and I want to continue to do this, what I liked and what I didn't like focuses on the game. So we we are going to focus you know, right on the game and that part of the segment. Um, uh, this is from Peter Hood on Twitter yesterday. Per StatMuse, uh, the 2.0 yards per play in yesterday's loss to New England is the franchise's worst offensive performance from a yards per play standpoint since October 23rd of 1977. Yeah. The only game that was worse than that, uh, the Baltimore Colts. They averaged 1.87 yards per play in a 17-3 road loss. Against the New England Patriots. Was the forward pass around back then? <laughs> yeah, never in the Indianapolis Colts franchise. Um, again, just overall, it's like you're kind of walking into that game, you're thinking, okay, you know, you're facing a team below 500 that can't really do a whole lot offensively. Next week, you're going to face the same sort of team. If there's ever an ability to get it back on track, it's now. Um, and clearly, this team continues to get off the awful starts and get down, and they just aren't potent enough or competent enough, honestly, offensively, uh, to get back into back into the game. Again, we'll break down exactly what went wrong and what I liked and what I didn't like. But now you're at a three-game losing streak, Eddie. You've scored two touchdowns in your last 37 drives. One of those touchdowns was via the Shaquille Leonard interception against Washington, setting up the short field. Um, You are a boring offensive football team. You have turned, I think, a chunk of your fan base into the I'm going outside to rake leaves at halftime. And that's just a really harsh reality for where we're at. Not only, you know, within the game, but it's November 7th. you got eight games to go. And this is where you're at right now. And as I've said really all season long, and yesterday certainly 
continues to climb up this mountain. Jim Irsay. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I didn't even want to reference or try to reference Frank Reich's frequent analogy of the mountains. But Jim Irsay's at such a critical foreign juncture in his ownership. Um, at GM, at head coach, and at quarterback. And yesterday was almost the cherry on top. I I don't think I've paused yet at a question, Eddie, of like, would Jim Mercer do something in season at head coach? I, I think it's really rare to fire a GM in season. Maybe there have been instances of that, but I think it's pretty rare. Um, but yesterday was a day that I just I kind of paused at that and thought to myself, it takes embarrassing, it takes historic to do something drastic, and at what point do you just run out of scapegoats? Is Matt Pryor the next one? An hour after we record this podcast, will Matt Pryor get cut? <laughs> you know, it, Is that where we're at? Or is there a point in time that Frank Reich says, or excuse me, Jim Mercer says, I need to send a message to my fan base, I need to send a message to my franchise? You have that, to. That's kind of the question that I'm sitting here with um, in early November. Again, I don't think you would do grand things and it would solve much. And I don't know, maybe Bubba Ventron on an interim level, who knows. But like, this is where I'm at um, with your operation right now in year six of Chris Ballard and year five of Frank Reich. I've said it so many times this season, but you're core number one main goal of Ballard as GM and Reich as head coach, they both are failing there. You know, it would be one thing of like, oh yeah, um, we're really getting, you know, poor play and, you know, punting this year. Punting is holding us back. Or, you know, we have a lot of wide receiver drops that are hurting this team. But it's not that. It's what those two men individually believe in more than anything else. Frank Reich's offensive background, his play calling, and obviously Chris Ballard's build of the offensive line uh, and all the that's invested into that unit. You got anything overall, man? I mean, I could rattle off numbers. They're 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 awful, but I can I can save that. You got anything? Uh, nine. I'm not counting the end of the game where they ran the one play, but nine drives with three or less plays. Um, eight of those were three and outs, and you had a turnover on downs on four plays. Um, the offense could not do anything at all. And now during the three-game losing streak, they are nine for 37 on third downs. That is 24%. Um, so that's an area to circle because in years past, a Frank Reich team has been one of the top teams in the league in terms of third down conversion. Right. Um, but last three weeks, they have been putrid on third down. Um, yeah, 0 for 14 yesterday, 0 for 2 on fourth down. Yeah. I mean, those are... Those numbers, I, I, I say out loud, and I'm like, what? Yeah. I thought, uh, well, why don't we just get into yeah, what yeah, you yeah. didn't like, because there's things that I didn't like that uh, you, you're going to mention. Uh, obviously not, there's a lot to pick from here. Um, I guess the biggest thing that we have to talk about first is the offensive line. I, I told you before, before we started recording the pod, I was telling yesterday the stunts. Uh-huh. Um, 
and I know for a fact the first five stunts resulted in sacks. Right. One of those got negated because of the Matthew Junon, whatever they called the roughing the passer, but it was a face mask penalty. Um, and then Bentley got home twice on a stunt, uh, not to mention the first two times Judon in, and I can't remember who the fifth player was. But the offensive line and picking up stunts, that is a major, major issue. You know, you, you talk a lot when a team faces the Patriots about facing Belichick. And I think you hear of anybody that's ever coached with Belichick or even against him, the thing that Belichick does better than anyone is he exposes your weaknesses. If you don't know your weaknesses, you're going to find out what your weaknesses are. Well, Eddie, I think we know what the Colts' weakness was entering Sunday. <laughs> Their offensive line. And if you want to pick out an individual on that offensive line, you would pick out Matt Pryor. So Bill Belichick takes his leading sack man, Matthew Judon, the NFL's leader in sacks, and he says, all right, I'm going to line up Judon opposite Braden Smith. Braden Smith, who I think at times has certainly struggled with communication and handling stunts in his NFL career. Mm-hmm. I am going to stunt at Braden Smith, slide inside to attack Matt Pryor with Matthew Judon. Sam Ellinger naturally is going to be looking to bail on the pocket a little bit quicker than most, given his youth, given his strength as a runner. And I'm going to make the Colts' biggest weakness show me that it is no longer a weakness with my best player. We can call it Belichick genius, Eddie. To me, it's like coaching one on one. Yep, <laughs> it's it's Notre Dame's punt block team against Clemson's <laughs> punt team on Saturday night. Like, I mean, that's literally what it was with what Judon was doing early in that game. We had Jeff Saturday on our morning show earlier today, Eddie. I left that interview just. I think if you're a Colts fan, you will be irate listening to that because Jeff Saturday throughout the entire interview was like. This is what Belichick has done for 20 years. Stunts, rubs, games, whatever you want to call it. It's not like New England's had these menacing, individual, absurd athletic rushers. They have just gotten home with... Their scheme. Their scheme. These sorts of things setting up their guys in favorable matchups. And that's exactly what they dialed up. So, for me, the offensive line issue from Sunday first goes on coaching. And in a week where Frank Reich was very public in his vote of confidence towards Chris Strasser, that's the result. And, you know, Eddie, this is Matt Pryor next to Braden Smith. They've been together for a month now. They've started combined probably over 100 games in the NFL. It's not like you've got two rookies next to each other. Right. It's not like you got a guy you signed on a Wednesday. I get that Pryor's moved, but he's been at right guard for now about a month. And that's the result. And like you said, stunt after stunt after stunt. Finally benched after four drives. At that point, it's too late. Because at that point, what have you done to your quarterback? And Nothing. There are some Ellinger issues that I think we can get to, but did you break any of them? You know, did you break his confidence a little bit? Thinking, oh God, now I can't step up in that right guard area, that A gap or that B gap where, where I want to step up to because that stunt has killed me through the first you know handful of series of the game. I thought you did a poor job moving the pocket too. Like, if you go back and watch that game, and We've I got a question about that, so okay, maybe we can save a little bit, but I'll I'll just sneak it in right now too. I would encourage no one to go back and watch the game, but if you do go back and watch the game, there's a moment there. Was it New England's third drive when they got the field goal? Yes, because New England looked you know anemic those first couple drives, just trying to pound it right at Indy. Uh, fourth drive, 
Fourth drive, New England moves at 42 yards. After they had gone three and out, three and out, one first down. What I noticed on that drive is New England finally did some stuff to the perimeter. They finally realized, guys, Buckner and Stewart are really, really good, and our banged-up offensive line cannot get it done. I didn't see that enough from Indy. In moving the pocket, getting Ellinger outside, um, I thought they waited too long to get Campbell involved. You know, I asked Frank Reich on Friday, hey, uh, Naheem Hines is gone. Do you just throw those plays out the playbook? Because there's no one on the roster that has Hines' exact skill set. No one. And he's like, no, we feel like we got some guys that can handle those that role. I guess Campbell. I, I mean, I, I guess. But again, you kind of need Campbell at wideout doing his natural yep. wideout stuff. So um, I, I, I just I got to start with the O-line, and I put so much of it on coaching. Like, they continue to play Matt Pryor, and you, how you are not sitting him down at the start of the week being like, Belichick's history is stunt, 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 stunt. Our greatest weakness is you. Maybe you don't say that directly to him. But you say, Matthew Judon is going to be attacking you. And they're going to stunt. And you and Braden have got to be on the same page. Like, I just, oh, gee, uh. Most sacks allowed in the Frank Reich era, 35 right now, Eddie. Uh, they have eight more games to go. Oh, my. Oh. Eight more games to go. Uh, this is the rundown on sacks so far in the Reich era. So, 18 with Luck, 31 with uh, Jacoby. 21 with Rivers, 32 last year with Carson Wentz, and like I said, with eight games to go, you have 35 sacks. Uh, how how many the, did you say with Jacoby? 31. 18 of those came in two games. He had a 10 sack game. I thought his 10 sacker sack. came in 2017. Oh, you might be right. Yeah. Just before Reich. Yeah, you're right. Because um, that was the other eight sack game. So, yeah, that was the year before. And let's look at the pass rushers upcoming. Max Crosby, Fletcher Cox. Uh, is TJ Watt going to be back for that Steelers game? Um, I'm sure he's circling it. Micah Parsons. I mean, dude, this is going to Chandler get. Jones. Chandler Jones. Yeah, I mean, this is going to get. Everson Griffin, yeah. Khalil Mack, Joey Bosa. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, and then your good friend Jerry Hughes again. There you go, Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. Yeah, um, unbelievable. Just unbelievable at the offensive line. So I want to start there. Um, before we get into the offense in general, is it concerning, or were you surprised, I should say, that it was Will Fries entering for Matt Pryor and not Danny Pinter? Yeah, I think they've gotten to the point with Pinter is they want a little bit more of a frame at right guard. Fries is slightly bigger. A little taller, a little bit more meat. Um, so I think that is the thinking there with Fries. You know, Pinter at this point, it, does he take over for Ryan Kelly? Like, is Ryan Kelly a cap casualty come March? That That's kind of where I'm at with Pinter, Kelly, that sort of dynamic. But like you said, Will Fries in there after, what, the fourth series and play the rest of the game at right guard. Um, so I guess we should probably get, expect another offensive line change heading into this week, which, like you said, the Raiders have had some issues, but they've had big leads in games. They've had a ton of one-possession games, and a big, big part of why they've been so competitive, despite the record, is because Max Crosby 
and Chandler Jones are a hell of a duo. So um, you mentioned it on that fourth drive for New England. They got that. Um, they got that field goal. They started it out with a wide receiver, or a tight end screen to Janu Smith. Got 24 yards out of it. And you're like, okay, well, here we go again. Janu Smith, Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Titans days uh, have a little bit of a flashback there. But I want to turn this towards the Colts offense and the aspect of, okay, New England and Coach Venturi knows Bill Belichick as well as some other people because he, you know, he coached for him and he's a big fan of Belichick, good friends, whatnot. And he said when he's in trouble, he will go to the screen game. They were in trouble. They went to the screen game. And again, Eddie, out in space. Let this Colts D line that's all about up the field get up field. Yes. Drop the screen in there. And that was the play that I thought Jolt. There was another perimeter play um within that drive. I can go back and look at the um at the game book there. Oh, they got Stevenson on that pitch. Yes. Uh, on the very next play for eleven. And boom, right right there, you're, you're I mean, as good of a kicker as Nick Folk is, and we'll, and we'll get to Folk, you're in field goal range. And that I just thought set the tone of it went from Colts Broncos, my eyes are really bleeding. Yeah. My eyes have kind of stopped bleeding because the Patriots are about to take a three nothing lead, and that will be enough to not lose the game. Now I wanted to flip this because with the Colts play calling or the plays that they ran the entire game, there were no quick passes, no screens, no slants, no drags. So I just want to ask you about the lack of those four type of plays. When the pass rush is getting home against the Colts' offensive line, where where are they? Yeah, I think in general you you've lacked a little bit of quick rhythm. I thought there are a couple of those plays that were in there. Feel free to again correct me, but to your point, not enough. I felt like you could have came out and just tried to establish a little bit more of a run. I didn't feel like. You you did that to the degree that I thought. Um, I think New England's really. I mean, arguably New England's best position groups are secondary. So I I felt like trying to challenge that was a little bit confusing to me. Offensively, Eddie. Again, the two point zero two yards per play is the worst in the history of the Indianapolis Colts. Just I utter that and can't believe it's true, but it's true. Sam Ellinger threw for one hundred and three yards. You look up their net passing yards, 43 for the game because they had 60 negative yards and nine punts. 60. Yikes. And again, 11 straight halftime deficit. 10 straight games trailing in in the fourth quarter. 10 straight games without an opening drive touchdown. It took 11 minutes for your first wide receiver or tight end to catch a pass. Your first completed pass was midway through the second quarter. Jordan Wilkins, the dude that hasn't even touched the football in two years. That was your first completed pass. Um, Took 20 minutes to get your first down, not because of a penalty. Uh, your net was incorrect on the passing. It's 43. 43. Thank you. <laughs> what did I say, 42? You said 60. Six, no, 60 yards lost in sacks is what I meant. Apologize if I didn't say that correctly. You said, El- you said that part correctly, but you said 60 yards total in net. Got it. And then... You could tell I'm fired up. Yeah. 0 for 14 on third down, 0 for 2 on fourth down. At halftime, Sam Ellinger, five completions, five sacks. And again, I do want to get to Ellinger here, Eddie. Go for it. You're on a roll. We we have got to remember that ultimately we're grading him on a franchise quarterback scale. 
That's ultimately what we have to do. If we're not doing that, then we're playing favorites. And we can't play favorites. That position means way too much. You can't do it. And I feel this way about head coach watching the Titans last night, Eddie. And I always feel this way about quarterback. Those two positions have responsibilities on their team that they can help lift sinking ships. Like Watch Mike Vrabel and the Titans. Don't tell me Tennessee has a top 10 roster. Do not tell me that. They don't. And they're hurt. They go into Arrowhead last night, and they competed their ass off and, and probably should have won the game with a backup quarterback in there. They just had some receivers, man. And you look at a quarterback position, and again, that quarterback can kind of lift that. And I felt like you, Ellinger did not do that for you on Sunday. And again, is that to be expected? Sure. Um, it's his first road start. It's Belichick. If you would have told me at the start of the day, Sam Ellinger is going to have a passer rating of 45.6, I would have been like, yeah, it's probably not the craziest thought in the world. I mean, this is a different animal for him. But I just felt like where he really lacked, which is a question I have for him, is throwing with anticipation. You know, if you watch, there are a couple balls there to Pittman and Pierce where I thought he waited for them to get open to deliver the ball. You can't do that in the NFL, Mm -mm. especially against that secondary. You've got to throw with anticipation. And I thought, again, it's a a difference between him and Matt Ryan, and part of it's probably just experience. Matt Ryan will oftentimes, before you make your break, he's going to deliver that ball knowing that once you make your break, that's when you're you're probably creating your most separation. Because then once you make your break and you show your hands, you're, you've stopped running as the pass catcher. Now the DB is reacting, and he can close that gap. Mm-hmm. I thought Sam waited with Pierce and Pittman on a couple different comebacks uh, twice. Those were some plays in the first half. Because remember, the first half, I mean, hell, it's you know 6 nothing for a quarter and a half. And again, they it was scoreless first quarter. It was still a competitive game on the scoreboard. Um, a couple of just... I didn't feel like you took chances vertically. And again, Jelani Woods had two drops. Kylan Granson had a drop that led right to the INT. But throwing with anticipation, I didn't think that was there. Would have liked to have seen a few more things vertically. Um, So basically in summary, I really liked a lot of what Ellinger did in his first start. Didn't like a lot of what he did. The support around him was certainly lacking. I want to make that very clear. But again, this evaluation is saying, Sam, here are the keys to the franchise. And I will I will do this every week with Ellinger because I think it's just part of the sample size as it continues to grow and we continue to add more and more film to him. Nothing that I've seen through two games says, here are the keys to the franchise. I gotta see a ton to even hand him <laughs> yeah. those keys. It's like handing, you know, the biggest troublemaker in the world, you know, keys to your car at the age of sixteen. But that's where I'm at with Ellinger from yesterday. All right, last thing. Uh, you labeled this as the kicking game, but I'm going to change it to special teams because I thought special teams in general was yeah. not good yesterday, even though Frank Reich said they were good. Kind of feeling like that's two weeks in a row now where you've really been poor with field position. I want to say you lost it by nine yards last week. You lost it by six this week. Um, Eddie, I was watching. Um, I, I think I said this kind of late last week of like, when you have the lowest over-under in the NFL, the Colts and the Patriots had that this week. It was 45, 40 and a half at the end of the game. When you have that and you have two struggling quarterbacks, or I should say two struggling offenses, 
the kicking game gets more pressure on it. Yeah. Making field goals, controlling field position, those things. I'm watching the Big Ten games on Saturday, and I'm like, man, if Foxborough gets some of this weather, that's going to be even more on kicking. I think it was kind of a windy day in Foxborough. I don't think it was anything. What do we got here? 15 mile power winds is what I'm seeing right here. Gosh, 75 degrees at kickoff. What a glorious day. 15 mile per hour. So, I mean, anybody that's played golf, 15 it, mile per hour, that, that's, a, that's a nice club win, probably club and a half. That was the warmest game in November in a regular season in Patriot history or Belichick history. I can't remember what, which one it was. Sounds like a conspiracy theory on, on, on my end for Belichick. How about Belichick on flip flops in the post game presser? <laughs> just straight disrespect. Um, I just felt like you got out kicked and out special teamed, to your point. I mean, just look at the first half. And, I, and I, I did three keys to the game that I tweeted out, I want to say, like around 10 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. And I got to noon, and the kickoff was getting closer. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to retweet that and throw in the kicking game on top of it. Because in a game with such precious scoring opportunities, you've got to make your kicks, and you've got to control field position. And just look at the first half. Nick Foles from 49 in some blustery conditions, right down the middle. From 43... In blustery conditions, right down the middle. I mean, we're talking seven play for 19 yard drive on the 43 yard field goal. But yet, those kicks were big. Chase McLaughlin obviously has the 39 yard right before half. He pulls it left. I worry about him outdoors. I mean, we all watch him kick. It's yeah. not the prettiest thing in the world. You know, it's like any golfer knows this when it starts to wind, when the wind starts to blow, you get exposed if your ball flight is not very uh, penetrating. Um, and I think we see that with Chase McLaughlin, some golfers out there, some non-golfers out there, are gonna be like, "Dude, shut the." F- uh, moving on, um, the block punt. I mean, you want to boil it down to one play. That was the play that was like, if this wasn't my job, I'd go do lease. That's the de- that's the defeating play right there. Six nothing at that point, Eddie. Um, Colts had just gone shockingly three and out. Um, you're punting from your own 26, seven minutes to go in the first half. At that point, New England had shown no signs of moving the ball, you know, from a substantial nature. They had that one drive of about 40 yards, but you still felt like if you could just keep it at 6 nothing a half, make a halftime adjustment, who the hell knows, and they blocked that punt. Kind of an easy block, to be honest with you. And boom, two-yard line. Two plays later, Stevenson makes a one-handed catch, and at that point, the game was over. 13 nothing, game was over. So if you want to boil it down to just, I think, a phase of the game that cost you it, I mean, yes, offensive line, offense for sure. But just like flip those kicking numbers. Let's say Fulk goes one of two on the field goals and Chase makes his. So now you're looking at 3-3. Let's say you don't get a punt blocked. It's 3-3 at half, Eddie. Yep. And you have been outplayed, but you don't feel like it. Certainly not on the scoreboard, and you get the ball to start the second half. So, um, basically, what I'm getting at is New England is not very good, but they just out special teamed you, out kicked you, and that's got to hurt because that's been such a reliable aspect of the game for the Colts over the years. The professor got the student this time. Yeah, and Bubba Ventrone got a lot of praise from Bill Belichick this week and what he's done with that unit. But and I'm not going to blame Bubba for the kicks, field goal wise, but the punt block. Can't happen. Like, as soon as Notre Dame blocked that punt on Saturday night, I was talking to my brother-in-law, Ross, before the game. I'm like, for Notre Dame to have a chance, they have to block a punt. They have to score a touchdown in a different way. 
They did that, and I literally thought to myself, oh my God, they're going to win this game. And they had to pick six. And they got to pick six to put some icing on the cake. Obviously, I didn't think their O-line would just pummel Clemson's D-line to that degree, but once they blocked that kick, it was like, oh my. Uh, when you're talking about the field, posi- field position battle, I think a lot of that is the offense fault and not really sure. the defense because, sure. I mean, if you're going three and out from your own 20, 25-yard line and you have a negative play, like a sack in there, uh, Matt Hawks punting near his goal line and that sets up New England around, what, the 40-yard line midfield? Yeah. So then you only have to get 20 yards, then you're in field goal range. No, I, th- I think that is a good point. It is a collaborative effort field position, uh, but I just didn't think your fourth down unit helped you out there. Um, all right, should I do what I did like? Yeah, um, I think there's only one player that you could probably highlight, and that's Quiddy Pay. I thought he looked really good. Dude, I was impressed. You know, I, I think there's been validity behind my Quiddy Pay assessment. Um, he's a first-round pick. I got a high standard for him. As a first-round pick. I thought he played like one yesterday. Yes. Um, 43 snaps stood out to me. That's a big number um, for any defensive end, but particular a defensive end that is coming off a month out. Um, obviously, the sentimental story of his mom's there and you know war-torn Western Africa and everything she did to get him and his two brothers to the Rhode Island area and, and for her to be at the game, that had to mean so much to him. Um, and then he backs it up with a career-high eight tackles. I thought he impacted the run in the pass game oh, equally yeah. as well, which I think you really like to see. And you know what, Eddie? He's such an important piece now. <laughs> Taekwondo is done for the year. Dio continues to be a little bit too quiet for my liking. Um, you need him now. You need him big time. But obviously, look towards the future. You know, when we talk about all these needs – if you can say that Quiddy Pay will give you first-round impact at defensive end for the next X amount of years, that would be huge, huge for your football team. So um, I did want to mention um, Quiddy individually for his performance. Um, you know, Partly do, again, coming back from the injury, but um, I thought he did a really, really nice job. Uh, the defense in general, another part that you liked? Let's go back to the opener of the pod, Eddie. 3.3 yards per carry, or excuse me, <laughs> per play for the New England Patriots. That is their lowest mark in a dozen years. Great job defensively. Mm-hmm. Your defensive tackle, Chris Ballard, I, obviously there's some major issues right now with his operation. He has said for several years now, we've got the best defensive tackle pairing in the NFL. They've played like it this year. Buckner and Stewart are studs, flat out studs. Um, Patriots had no answer for him whatsoever. Buckner is hurt. I mean, look at that thing he's wearing. And he's still out there. Just the knee brace on the boys. elbow. Whipping boys. Three quarterback hits for him yesterday. Seven tackles. You know, it's pretty rare when your DN and your D tackle are your top two tackle guys. Pay and Buckner. Grover had another five. Two tackles for loss. Studs. Uh, but yeah, I, I wanted to mention the defensive effort. You know, New England had 14 drives yesterday, Eddie. Two of them produced more than 20 yards. Two of 14. It's pretty damn good. I mean, they had three drives that had negative net yards. Um, so is this defense legit? <laughs> I, again, the offensive opposition was not good yesterday, but I do want to give credit to the defense. Um, in New England is kind of built to what the Colts do well. 
I mean, New England wants to run it at you. I think the Colts are kind of built to handle that pretty well. So I think that plays into it. They're not very dynamic at, at wide receiver, especially. Mm-mm. And it, let's credit Bobby Okereke. That was a violent punch, a hell of a punch. And he, he, you know, he set you up for a chance to get back in the game with that turnover. And you couldn't really take advantage of that. But That could have been a momentum swing. Yes, could have been huge. Uh, that 3.3 yards per play for the Colts, it's the fewest... Uh, I think it's the second fewest they've allowed since 2014. You remember the Texans game last year, the shutout down there in Houston? Yes. That had a smaller yards per play number allowed by the Colts, but still the second fewest in you know eight years, and again the worst Patriots offensive output in a dozen years. Colts only four plays that were longer than 10 yards, two plays longer than 15, one over 20. Offense-wise. Defense, they gave up, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight plays over 10 yards, four plays over 15, two over 20, and one over 30. You go up to Frank Reich. You go up to Jim Mercer. Jim Mercer gets in the owner's booth. He's got his chowder. He's eating his chowder before kickoff, and you go up to Jim Mercer and you say, Jim, where's Drake? Can I pet Drake? All right, I'm going to pet Drake, and then I'm going to say, Jim, your defense today is going to hold your arch nemesis, the New England Patriots, to their fewest yards per play in 12 years. And Jim's like, hey, Bray, Bray, Pete Ward, come over here. Break out the video, baby. We got to record one. We got to record one. And then there's going to be a butt thrown in there, and you're going to lose by 23 points. Uh, you ready for Twitter questions? I'm just in awe of that. Just in awe. Yeah, man, I am. I am. All right, first one is from Jake. Uh, why did Frank Reich take all the fun plays, such as bootlegs, zone reads, RPOs, out of the playbook and not run any of them against the Patriots? Why try turning Sam Ellinger into a pocket passer? Yeah, I didn't think they moved the pocket enough. I mean, I get he's not Malik Willis, but you have to do some things. Um, and I'll go back to what I said earlier about New England, you know, running into a brick wall there early on, I thought they opened it up with some perimeter stuff. And you know what I think is extra maddening about it, Eddie, is you look at the scripted stuff. You continue to fail there. That is supposed to be where you have the advantage. Scripted, controlled settings. First 15 plays. This is where I think coaching outweighs any other aspect of the game. Of like, hey, this is what we prepared Monday through Saturday. Who prepared better than the other? Now, obviously, you make some in-game adjustments and you got to handle things on the fly. But think about that. You're the first 15 plays to me is like you have all the time in the world to study for a test. Once you get past that, that's a little bit more pop quizzy. That's a little bit more of okay, you know, fly by the seat of your pants. How do you react to things? A little bit out of control. Injuries can happen during a game. Game flow can dictate things. So that to me is like the time of the game where coaching means the most. Preparation, all that. And you continue to be just awful, awful in that area. Um, Austin is next. Uh, He asks, do you think Sam Ellinger will be evaluated fairly when looking at the offensive line performance? It's tough to do anything when you're running for your life every play. Thanks for the Monday and Wednesday pods. They are much needed quiet time with a four and two year old running around the house. There ain't nothing quiet about that last part, Austin. You'll be there shortly, won't you? Good luck to you. Well, yeah, we'll see. I'm just happy Max got a witness, Notre Dame Clemson. I mean, the man was born into the world 
on Notre Dame Marshall. <laughs> and luckily, hey, Marcus Freeman's already got more top five wins than Brian Kelly ever had at Notre Dame. There you go. There you <laughs> Do go. Do I sound like a jaded Notre Dame fan or what? Did you make Jake on the morning show sing the fight song? He did. He did some BS rendition about Notre Dame not winning national titles. It, was, it pissed me off. Oh, God, I'm bitter. Anyways, um, Austin, good luck to you on that front. Uh, I, I hear you. Um, again, I think Sam Ellinger has a spot in this league. I do. I do. Um, I'm highly skeptical that it's a spot as a starting quarterback. But do you think he's being evaluated fairly? Or will he be evaluated fairly? I think we'll have enough evidence. Now, one thing. I don't need to see Nick Foles. I get that Frank Reich was noncommittal to Ellen Graff for the game. Dude, I... Play Ellinger. <laughs> like, I have this feeling about interim head coach right now. Like Someone's like, oh yeah, just you know, Gus Bradley or John Fox. I've seen those people as head coach. Why not see Bubba Ventrone if you're going to make a change? I feel the same way at quarterback. If you're going to do that, if you did what you did with Matt Ryan, I don't need to see Foles. Throw Ellinger in there and let's see what he can do. Are there... Do you wish it was perfect for him and you could evaluate him a little bit more? Yes. But you know what? Part of this is a little reality of the NFL. Like, you've got to handle adversity. You've got to you know, manage it a little bit more. Make some plays in the passing game when those plays do arise. There were some drops. The tight ends did not help him out. Again, the pass protection was less than ideal. But I also feel like at some points, he had opportunities to make some plays and did not. Not like going to just berate the dude and act like, he should be benched. Clearly, I'm not. I want to yeah. see eight more games. I want to get more of a sample size. But I I think you got to be a little bit realistic about this too, Austin. Of just, while this is a great evaluation period for Sam, he's got to show a lot for you to hand those keys. Yeah. Um, there was a great Dane Brugler line that I don't think he shared with us. And by the way, thanks for some of the feedback on Brugler from people on the pod from last week. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Brugler had this line, and I love it, and I'm going to repeat it and hopefully give credit to him every single time I do, between now and April. The quarterback position cannot be just a passer. The quarterback has got to be a creator. That line to me, I think, is so, so descriptive and correct in how quarterback is in today's NFL. You need that guy to be a creator, not just a passer. Not And I felt like at times the Colts hamstrung Ellinger on Sunday and making him into being too much of a passer. And then also, um, I didn't think Ellinger created enough. And yeah. again, some of that stuff can just be throw with anticipation. You're creating separation that is not just reliant on your wideout simply showing one-on-one athleticism. I think when you look at the evaluation period over Sam Ellinger, it's okay. How many really good plays does he make for every bad play? Like, how many good plays in a row can he make before he makes a bad read or a bad play in general? I think that's the biggest part when you're evaluating guys like a Sam Ellinger. Who, and he did a lot of it against Washington. Yeah. You know, I, I again, I, I thought I was very complimentary of him. Um, but I think the more we get away from that first start, Eddie, the more you just lose a little bit of the sentimental Sam Ellinger 200th overall pick evaluation and you start to realize this is the National Football League and you've got to evaluate him like he is the franchise because that's the opportunity he's getting right now. 
Um, I also think he's at a, a big disadvantage. I mean, this was not the game for him to play. Like, you fire the OC, the guy who you've been working with throughout the course of your year and a half in the NFL. Right. Then you trade off one of your best offensive skilled position players at the deadline. So you're pretty much, I don't know how hamstrung you are in terms of the playbook, but... And that's to Austin's point, to be fair. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I... I totally hear that out. Like I am not acting like it is perfect around him. But I was gonna, I was gonna say, but like you know, three weeks down the line when everything is kind of settled in yeah. for Sam, I think that's when the true evaluation sure. period will start. Sure. Again, we're gonna evaluate him in these sixty-minute cycles that we have each week. Part of it is the beauty and the beast of this podcast, if you will. Um, but I also want to make sure that we, when opportunities present itself, to talk about it in the short term and then big picture. We clarify that. Uh, next question is from Flippin. Has Frank Reich or is Frank Reich losing the team? I added the has in there because it's something we have discussed yeah. a couple it, times in the past couple weeks. Eddie, kind of one of my bigger NFL beliefs is this. I, I'd i like to think your locker room can be self-motivated week in and week out. I mean, they are grown men. These are professionals. They are grown men. Thank you. <laughs> they have a lot to play for. Um, I'd like to think that that would be the case. I am not naive to think that is the case week in, week out. But I guess what I'm getting at is I worry about motivation much more on a collegiate level and a locked-in focus than I do at the NFL level. Having said that, to Flippin's question, I will throw three stats at you that I think will explain my answer. Colts have gone 11 straight games without an opening drive score. They've gone 11 straight games without a halftime score. And they've gone 10, excuse me, halftime lead. And they've gone 10 straight games without a lead going into the fourth quarter. 11 straight, no points in the opening drive. 11 straight, no lead at halftime. 10 straight, no lead going in the fourth quarter. What happened? At some point, where is your urgency? Where is your, we have a locked-in football team early in a game. We have a team that's going to play from ahead. They feel that, again, the scripted portion is early in the game. That's when your coaching, I think, is impacting and influencing you the most. The other thing I worry about, Eddie, is look at, look at the run in those 11 games. Look at what you were playing for in those last 11 games. Playoff bursts. The week one drought. The embarrassment in Jacksonville being swept by Tennessee twice, you've not played this juggernaut of a schedule in that 11-game stretch. And outside of just the 60-minute nature of football, you've had so much to play for in those individual matchups, whether it be pride, whether it be a playoff berth, whether it be embarrassment, Jacksonville, Tennessee-related. like all, of, And that's how you've reacted to those games? You know, at some point, the message you're hearing Monday through Saturday is not getting across to you. And again, I'd like to think in the NFL you could be really self-motivated, but the actions to me are telling a totally different story. Uh, the next question is from Juan. 
Uh, while we're on the topic of Frank Reich locker room and everything, throw this in there. He says, I know Jim Irsay never fies, fires anyone uh, midseason, but it seems to me that Frank Reich has no answers and seems completely lost. And on the other hand, the malpractice by Chris Ballard, it's been beyond evident with the offensive line and quarterback. What else do you think needs to happen so that Jim Ursay will understand that's enough and he will send both guys packing and let Bubba Ventrone, for example, run the team the rest of the season and try to at least give it a spark? At this point, um, it's beginning to be disrespectful to the players and to the fans. Thank you, as always. Look forward to the Hangover Pod tomorrow. And as always, a loyal listener and to your work. Uh, Juan, that means a lot. You are very loyal, so thank you. For that, um, to his first point, Eddie, Jim Mercer has never been in this situation. He took over his owner in 1997. He looked pissed off yesterday. I don't know if you saw a video of him on the cart saw that, heading yeah. toward the locker room. He looked pissed yeah. off. Yeah, he looked like Drake just peed on his leg. Um, <laughs> the dog I mean, or the, uh, the the rapper? Well, the dog. The dog. I had somebody ask me if Drake could play left tackle. I think Drake could kind of be in the Naeem Hines role if you look at his yeah. size and stature just a um, dog out there man yeah exactly d-a-w-g uh, again ursay's never been in this situation we're talking year five and year six of this operation frank reich year five chris ballard year six preseason expectations so mad about carson wentz and i don't know I, i'm curious and maybe some fans can reach out to me eddie and explain this to me but like do you think fans care about how boring they look like if yes. they were three five and one but losing games 31 to 28 do you think they'd be a little bit more accepting of it? Yeah, kind of like the Indiana Pacers, for example. Like early in the season, they lost a couple of games, but it's like, all right, these I can live with these losses right. because you're not getting boat raced out of the gym. Yeah, you are losing, and like you're losing kinda, close. Boy, it's disrespectful to your defense. What you're doing offensively, Juan. To your point again, like the disrespectful nature. To the defensive players, to the fans, the embarrassing product in an in a place that obviously means a lot to Jim Mersey, probably for more negative reasons in Foxborough. Um, you know, think back to when Jim Mersey said that Frank Reich and Chris Bauer would be safe. As I said that immediate Monday following those comments, I said I put zero stock into it. Um, I think it's simply Jim Mersey trying to calm the fire. And let's think what ha- what has happened since then. You've blown a two-score fourth-quarter lead at home to Daniel Snyder's commanders and a backup QB with Peyton Manning, et cetera, in the building. You've fired Marcus Brady. You have traded, or are we going with Jason's donating, Naheem Hines to the Bills. And then you just had your worst offensive output in the 38-year history of your franchise in Indianapolis. So safe on October whatever that was to now, I I'm I would have been mildly surprised had Jim Mersey made an in season move. Sitting here on November seventh at ten fifty in the morning, my surprise is lessened. I, I I would no longer be that surprised because Eddie it's starting to get in the historical embarrassment. I probably still side with the like. You know, big picture, I, I I don't know how much it does, but the disrespect to your defense, and like, who's the next scapegoat? Is it Strasser? Is it Pryor? 
I mean, at some point, the next scapegoat is Reich. So I, I'm starting to come around on it a little bit more. Um, again, I don't know entirely what it does. Um, I think we had a few more questions on this, so I know some people were concerned, like, what would you do offensively if you were to make this move? Well, we're not that far off, KB. There's not a lot of guys uh, on the staff with experience there, so I'll probably wait for that. That's what Frank Reich said last night or yesterday. We're not that far off. Yeah, I just, I'm sorry, Frank. I, I don't, you know, the worst offensive output in the history of the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, Dylan is up next. Uh, how much of the offense's poor performance against the Patriots can be attributed to the firing of Marcus <laughs> Brady? Boy, Dylan, I can't tell if this is a Marcus Brady family member sending in the, the, this account. This gets back to the earlier point, Eddie, of like none of these moves you've made, none of the performances you've had in these 10 or 11 games stretch now has sent any sort of fire, has ignited anything. Anything. And I'll go back to what Jeff Saturday told us this morning. This is the Patriots' MO. This is what they do. They run those games. They, they they run those stunts, and you're not prepared at all. If I were Marcus Brady yesterday, man, I'd be, we'd be breaking out the liquor yesterday afternoon. Now I'd be watching that game, <laughs> sipping on a little whiskey. That's what I'd be doing. Do you even watch the game? Hell yeah, you watch it and you sit there and you say they thought I was the issue. I was the scapegoat. I, I don't know. Maybe you can invite over Hot Rod or whoever else. You know, I don't. Did they leave Matt Ryan at home, or was he on the sideline? Looked like he was on the sideline, wasn't he? Yeah, he was on the sideline. He had a well, Matt Ryan, I'm like, man, I really got to travel? <laughs> I guess you got to earn your contract at some point. But. Uh, Chris is up next. He says, hey, KB, love the pod. Thank and you, Chris. Was, and uh, was just wondering, uh, with going to so long without talking to Chris Ballard or Jim Ursay, do you keep a list of questions to ask them throughout the season, and what might some of those questions be? Of Thank course, you. of course, of course, Chris. I definitely do that. Um, yeah, you got to keep a running log, and I do want to make this clear. Running out of paper yet? <laughs> Touche. Um, Ballard and Ursay talk more than most GMs and owners around the league. Do I think they need to be talking right now? I do, I do. Um, Which one would you want to hear from first? It's well, a good question. I mean, both have their pros and cons to it. I think Ballard can give you a really. I think Ballard typically gives you a pretty honest assessment of where of where things are at, and there's a lot of questions you have personnel and coaching wise with him. But ultimately, we, the man that signs the checks is. I was about to say, yeah. Who you want to hear from? Um, you know, it's interesting you bring this up, Chris. Let me go back and I did this a few weeks ago where I looked up my questions for Chris Ballard at last year's season ending presser. Yes. So these were the one, two, three, four, five. I had five written down. And obviously, as you're sitting there in the press conference, you naturally think of more and his answers spark more of that. And but I had five main ones walking in there. Here were the five, Eddie. Do you feel your blueprint needs adjusting or changing? I think I asked that, by the way. Uh, considering the resources, has the pass rush developed as you would like? What's the direction at left tackle? Seven pro bowlers and not making the playoffs. Is that an indictment on your coaching staff not meeting the standard needed? And my last one, uh, does wide receiver need a serious investment with free agents Zach Pascal, T.Y. Hilton, 
and Campbell's injury history. Man, Kevin, you and those freaking wide receivers. Hey, I had that one fifth on the list. <laughs> How about those five questions, Eddie? Um, uh, do four you, of them still hold a good amount of relevance. Do you know the lottery numbers for tonight? <laughs> I got I wish, man. My gambling right now, I can't win. I just need a win. Just get, Somebody send me a win. That's all I ask. Hey, just take IU money line tonight. There I you really go. need the Pacers to get to... <laughs> 30 wins so yeah just basically i i bring that up to say it's kind of the same song and dance you know i have a lot of the same questions that i would have if ballard sits down and meets the media tomorrow um but again it's to get back because i think a lot of people brought up the why isn't ballard talking i thought he should have talked last week after the trade he does not usually meet the media end season i think that's a little bit of a misconception well Colts Roundtable Live. He does the radio show, which is, I think he usually does quarterly appearances there. Grigson did them. Polian did them every I th- night. I thought Grigson did weekly. Did he do them weekly? I thought he did Gosh, weekly. He must have not had a life at all then when he was doing that on those Mondays. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm i not stunned by the lack of public account. I just, I think what's frustrating with Ursay right now is like, We've heard him after the wins, and he chirped all leading into that Tennessee game. Yep. You know, I, I, like this is the NFL. You know, this isn't like high school football where it's like, hey, I'm going to go talk to the winning team afterwards. I'm not going to talk to the losing team You know, in a sectional final. Okay, I, I understand that. You know, These kids are 17 years old, and they're just, they just want to make sure Steak and Shake's still open until 11 o'clock after <laughs> the game. Like, I get that, but... I just think your fan base deserves to hear from them. Yeah. Uh, Garrett, hey, Kevin, figured I would share another question for the pod this week. In my time watching this team, I'm not sure if I can remember a worse offensive line performance. The investment in the line feels like dumping $42 million into Blockbuster stock in 2022. <laughs> I used to love Blockbuster. Wendy's and Blockbuster used to be my Friday nights. Oh, really? Not high school football? Talk about heaven. Uh, this is back when I was like 12. Oh, okay. Uh, with that being said, is there any merit to drafting a left tackle in the early rounds of the draft next year and running it back with Sam Ellinger for another year? It feels as if Sam Ellinger isn't getting his fair shot with constantly being hit and finding ways to build around Braden Smith and Quentin Nelson at a cheaper price could give them the opportunity to get an offensive weapon and free agency this summer as well with the offensive line on rookie contracts. Thanks again. Enjoy the content each week. Garrett, thank you for that, man. When I hear running it back at quarterback, that phrase, oh, God. it's about how I reacted when Max pooped twice in the bathtub last night. <laughs> I mean, we're talking two poops in 18 seconds. Rosie's naked. I was going to throw Rosie in there with her. Rosie burst out laughing at him pooping. I'm like, what is Did going Did she really? On? Oh, burst out laughing. Max pooping! <laughs> Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that when I hear running it back at quarterback, that's kind of what what I think of. Uh, I, I, I should <laughs> laugh. The, Garrett has sorry. a totally fine question here. Uh, what did Brugler say about the tackle class? It, it, he wasn't in love with it, right? No. That was kind of the early thought. I, I get it, Garrett. It's a tough balance. I, I hear you. You know, do you go quarterback in one, get the early tackle in two, you're still kind of guessing at tackle? I mean, 
I don't know. Ryman wasn't. Ryman definitely looked like a rookie to me on on Sunday. Yeah, I, I. You know, can you find a tackle in free agency? I don't. Boy, I, I I just hate to push quarterback another year. You know, one thing, and Jeff Sider brought brought this up with us, and I understand this. There's a balance, Eddie, of like helping out your offensive line versus displaying guys out on the route trees. You know, you want as many yeah. guys out there on a the route tree. I don't feel like the Colts chip or help that much. I don't feel like they're a big max protect team. No. And again, I get it. Your weapons are not the most dynamic group. But you know what? Alec Pierce has shown an ability. If you just max protect it and you let that dude run for 30 or 40 yards down the field, he might he might draw a flag. And at that point, that would have been – they should have stopped the game and taken a picture if the Colts would have got that yesterday. Um, uh, when it comes to free agents at the left tackle position, yeah, imagine the bag, as they say, that Orlando Brown is going to get. God, and he struggles at times. He's 26 years old. He is one of four free agent left tackles. Kelvin Beecham, Jason Peters, and Dakota Dozier. Those are your other left tackles that'll be on the market. So imagine the bag he's going to get from a team that is needy of a left tackle being the only guy there. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, And then um, to Garrett's point about when it comes to skill position players, uh, here are your wide receivers that are free agents that have had some success this year. Juju. Uh, Jacoby Myers. Juju made some big plays last night. He did. Uh, Alan Lazard. Always like Lazard. Um, Noah Brown with or from Dallas, and uh, Mikael Hartman and DeAndre Carter. I'm gonna loop in Paris Campbell there too. But those are your free agent wide receivers. I'm curious to see what happens with Hartman after that Kadarius Tony trade. Me too. Okay, who we got next? Uh, Jason, uh, is this the lowest point for fans since uh, the Peyton Manning days when he was drafted, or before Manning was drafted? Uh, The Colts have had fewer wins at at times since then, but I'm not sure the lack of hope has been this low. Sorry to be so... uh, I got to zoom in here. Uh, Existential, but the only... I said that right, right? Sounded good to me. Okay, existential, but the only thing keeping me from being completely melancholy right now is that huge Irish oh, win. Let's go, Jay. Why? This question should have been first after that. I thought about there. leaving out the the final part of that oh, sentence. Oh, boo! Come on. <laughs> I, I just wanted to see if you would notice and if you would bring it up organically well, on yeah, your own. Yeah, I was gonna do it. <laughs> uh, Jason used the phrase "lack of hope." Did I hear that right, Eddie? Correct. Boy, that's such a great phrase to use. You think about it right now. And again, the Colts did not walk into the season thinking this way. The Pacers walk into the season thinking this way. So I understand it, but they're in our market, so it's easy to compare. The Pacers have provided hope for their fan base. They've got hope. Tyrese Halliburton is hope. Benedict Matherin is hope. Three draft picks in 2023 is hope. Miles Turner and Buddy Heald potentially being traded for some nice assets is hope. Colts don't have that amount of hope. Certainly not at the quarterback position. Um, I like to make the. I made this analogy yesterday uh, to Scott Johnston, and I said the Colts right now are where the Pacers were two years ago. Yeah. Yep. I hear you there. Holding 
on to this era, thinking this era is still going to work. Yep. Yeah, that's a really, really good comparison. Um, so to your point, Jason, I do think it is the lowest since before Manning was drafted because, again, you're lacking the hope. Like, he's got a long ways to go, but Eddie, if Tennessee would have like fallen off a cliff this season, like at least Malik Willis is in the fold. So maybe. Again, yeah. long ways to go. And last night, there were some really nice moments out of him. There were also some moments there like, man, you know, he's got to develop big time. Well, that, and as, he doesn't have much help. As a passer, certainly does not have a very potent wideout group at all. Um, but again, like that's that's kind of where you're getting at with this. The Colts are in this weird situation where they're stuck in quarterback purgatory and there's no youth at QB on the roster that was a day, you know, drafted in the first 150-some picks. Yeah. You know, virtually every team has one or the other. They have the veteran that they like and or they have the young guy that they want to turn to at some point. Uh, next up is from Craig. We've got four questions left in total. Okay. Hey, Kevin, I have been a Colts fan for 45 years, and I've been some, and I've seen some atrocious Colts teams. This is becoming really close. While the defense has played well for the majority of the season, the offense has me remembering 1984, Ooh. where the Colts under I don't even know under Pagel uh, didn't score Pagel. more. Pagel, sorry. Uh, under Pagel, didn't score more than 17 points from Game 6 on. I know you said it doesn't make sense to fire a coach midseason, but can it get any worse? I don't think so. How can Chris Strasser and Frank Reich have a job following this effort? This team has no heart and needs a massive shakeup. I am so disillusioned and lost almost all hope they can turn this around in the years to come. Please give me a reason to watch this team for the rest of the season. P.S. I have never stopped watching them in a season before. You know, the last thing I want to do, but I guess the question is kind of asking me. So is, if he hasn't stopped watching before him, Hats off to him for not watching uh, 2011. <laughs> yeah, Craig, you certainly dealt with a lot. You know, he said he's been, what, 45 years, right? Yeah. As a Colts fan. Um, you know, they're all different types of fans, Eddie. And I feel like I kind of get on a fan soapbox at different points. Uh, but it's the beauty of sports. The fandom is wild. You know, you have all these different types of, like, you know, fans that are literally, they look forward to Sunday at 1 o'clock every single week. It's the biggest thing that they're looking forward to each week. And that's awesome. I remember Maddie saying this to me earlier in the year when Notre Dame lost to Marshall. She's like, Whoa, that's like two straight pods that we've dropped Maddie and sports together. Yeah. Well, she, I don't think she's too happy with me at the moment. She's like, Max has just been born and you look disgusted because Notre Dame just lost to Marshall. <laughs> like, oh, it's not that. Uh, but kind of. Uh, she's like, Man, so does that mean like, she's like, What does that mean for you? I'm like, I look forward to watching Notre Dame play football each Saturday. It's like one of the highlights of my week. And that might make me crazy and psycho and whatever, but that's me. And now I'm like really bummed that those games have a little bit of a less meaning because they're out of the playoff picture. Especially after beating Clemson. Huh? After beating Clemson in North Carolina. No one wants to play Notre Dame right now. I'll tell you that. If they they allow 30 teams in the playoff, Notre Dame's getting in and they're going to make some noise. Anyway. (laughs) uh, And I'm sure that's how some Colts fans feel right now. Like... You're at this point in the season where it's like, man, I still look forward to the games, but like, it's lost a little meaning, and we're not used to that, mm-hmm. you know, with the Colts. And then you've got other people. It, 
college football is never really like this unless you want the coach to be fired. College football, like I was cheering on Saturday night, and Matty's like, man, you're really getting into this. I'm like, well, I know it sounds weird, but it's important for Notre Dame to win from a recruiting standpoint. In the NFL, it's the exact opposite. <laughs> you yeah. want your team to lose to try and get a little higher from a draft position. So it's this weird kind of push and pull. Um, as far as you know, Reich and firing, does Ursay sit down and say, all right, the locker room needs to see that the owner will hold accountability at the top of the organization? And Reich and Ballard obviously would be at the top. Does that send a message? Does it do anything? Does it tell people in your organization this is not – not acceptable, you know. This is not acceptable whatsoever. Um, you know, part of me is like, okay, that's that has a twenty-four hour effect. But Eddie, in all likelihood, if you can Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, ninety percent of that staff is gone next season, and probably fifty percent of your roster gets turned over. So, like, the people in your building, how many people really feel that, you know, or like are really going to get here next year, still be within the organization and say, hey, that owner, he wasn't messing around last year, midseason, I'm on the edge of my seat. You know, I, I, I just don't really feel that. The Chris Strasser one, again, you have the highest paid offensive line in football and you're failing. At some point, someone's got to answer to that. That's not Marcus Brady. As far as this was brought up to, uh, we had a listener this morning bring this up. I think it's interesting. I think would, you're about to, yeah, I was about to ask you this. Who would call plays? Yep. Yeah. So that one is like Matt Ryan. <laughs> God, that's a great point. You'd be swimming upstream big time offensively. Someone argue you're already doing it if you fired Reich and scrambling on offense to who to call plays. Scott Milanovich was the QB coach for the Jags at one point. I think he did some CFL play calling. Scotty Montgomery's definitely called plays at the off- or at the college level. He's taken on more of a kind of public-facing and behind-the-scenes a little bit more of a role offensively with the Brady firing. Like, that is a legit question. I, you know, I, again, you promote John Fox because then it keeps Gus Bradley there. It keeps Bubba Ventrone there. You know, quarterback we'll see, or offense, we'll see what you do with that. Um I do think that is a little bit of a question. Do I think it's like the end-all, be-all? Um, no, but you know, I'll go back to the earlier question we had, Eddie. I mean, you imagine what you're saying to Sam Ellinger? If then you fire Reich? You talk about a proper evaluation, or I shouldn't even say proper, a semblance of a normal evaluation. Yeah. Uh, for Marcus Brady, he was the offensive coordinator at Duke uh, from 2013 to 2015 before he became the East Carolina head coach from 16 to 18. Then he was at Maryland. Scotty Montgomery. Their, yes. Who yeah. did I say? Uh, Marcus Brady. Sorry about that. Uh, Scotty Montgomery, he was the offensive coordinator at Maryland from 19 to 20, uh, and he's been with the Colts since uh, 2021. Yeah, Milanovic was with the Jags. There are no like easy answers by any means to what you would do. But all right, who we got left? Uh, we have three uh, three questions left from Cameron. Is one of them uh, no reason this team shouldn't have been sellers at the trade deadline? This team is really bad. Um, w- besides the defense, uh, with Frank Reich being vocal about not making changes to general manager head coach, why wouldn't 
I think he means with Ursay being vocal about not making changes to general manager and head coach, why wouldn't they sell and set the franchise up for success? Uh, continuing to white-knuckle this approach is leading the team into embarrassing territory like the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, and the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for the franchise. I've always seen Chris Ballard as a believer, but its seemingly ultra-stubborn approach to team building is losing me. Yeah, I I certainly hear you out on that last part. Um, you know, no team fully sells. Like I don't, you know, in in the NFL, you just never see that. I mean, hell, you didn't. What was the team that was the closest to fully selling last week? Detroit. Yeah, boy, and they got a nice haul back for Hawkinson. Uh, but yeah, yeah I, I'd probably say that right because the Bears kind of did a little bit of both, right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, you get rid of Roquan, but then you bring in Claypool. Claypool yeah, um, which and, and Quinn. Yeah, yeah, Quinn was a little bit, but you know that that one made a lot of sense. I I did think there were some missed chances last week, and I do think they made some calls. I thought, you know, obviously it's a two way street. I want to acknowledge all of that, uh, but to Eddie's point, Eddie, I thought that was a great analogy that you brought up earlier. This has the feel of the Pacers two years ago. It does. Um, second to last question from Colton. Uh, it's getting very hard to keep Colton. watching. One of my good buddies is Holton. Colton? Colton, yes. Love it. What's he got? Uh, it's getting very hard to keep watching these games. Is it time to embrace the tank? Lose for love. Or not love. I can't say that. Uh, Here, I got young. a few. Some of my buddies are texting me some. I said yak for young. Is that not good? No. Does it have to rhyme? Uh, yuck. Yuck for young. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, let me see if I can find these. Lay down and die for Bry. <laughs> too harsh. Lose for Levis. Sacrifice for Bryce. I like that one. Okay. I, I I'd take Bryce Young. Oh my dude! All those QBs, man. Did you see any Again, of that creator, LSU game? Creator, creator. I mean, that's. Whew. Did That's you him. did you watch any of that LSU game? I did. You know, hey, I could flip over because my Irish were cruising there. Um, to Colton's question, it's getting very hard to keep watching these games. It's time to embrace the tank. I understand, totally understand. If you are all in on the tank, I get it. I get it. I understand. There's another section of the fan base that doesn't want to go there just yet. But if you if you are thinking about the future of this franchise, losing is a good thing at this point because Eddie. Correct me if I'm wrong, but would the first three picks right now be Texans, Panthers, Lions in some order? Uh, Texans, Panthers, Steelers, Lions. Okay. So three of the first four. So you better hope that Pittsburgh is willing to trade with you, right? But if you embrace the tank... Could you move on up? You would lose to Pittsburgh, lose to the Raiders, um... That's all that's left that's below you in standings. Oh, I mean, this week's big, right? <laughs> yeah. You said two and six Raiders? Yep. Yeah, two and six Raiders. Steelers, two and six. Texans are one and six. Incredible. But incredible that we're discussing this. I know. Absolutely incredible. Uh, last question from Brian. At what point uh, does this season, uh, does the marketing department start selling tickets based upon who is coming to town? <laughs> Come see Hertz and the High Flying Eagles. <laughs> yeah, 
to be fair, I think this is what marketing departments do <laughs> all around sports. You know, the Pacers, they had a really cool graphic this year of like the guys coming to play at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Did you see that? It's like yes. a, it was a cartoonish graphic, yeah, really yeah, well yeah. done. Um, and the Pacers are in this weird position in the NBA where, you know, there's no NBA team in Cincy, Louisville, St. Louis. So if you are a fan of Zion tonight, the Pacers play the Pelicans. If you love Zion Williamson, or hell, if you're a fan of Kentucky, the college, you're driving up from Lexington to go watch John Wall and Boogie Cousins and now I'm naming Kentucky guys that are way old, but you know, Jamal Murray and Anthony Davis and those guys. Um But let's look at the Colts final four home games, Eddie. Let's show. Undefeated Eagles. Monday night football with the Steelers. Monday night football with the Chargers and the Texans to close out the year. Yep. So when you talk about like away from the Colts product, you're talking about an undefeated Eagles team on a short week, by the way. Commanders this Monday night for them. Monday night football. It'll be a lot of black and yellow in the building, no matter what the Steelers record is for that one. And then the Chargers. Again, Justin Herbert. He doesn't play in your building every every year. Austin Eckler. Mahomes his first year. Our first time playing in Lucas Oil was was this year. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are all reasons to attend. You know, I find myself like walking out of Lucas Oil Stadium when the Colts beat the Chiefs, and I get it. I'm like kind of numb to the fandom at this point in my life. But I was like, man, that was really cool watching Patrick Mahomes play. Yeah, I don't know how many more times I'll be able to do that. And I feel like Wednesday night I'm taking my nephew to the Pacers game. I've never watched Nikola Jokic play. Oh, this would be, be pretty cool to see I've Jokic play once, yeah. Play and again, when you're in the NBA, you only get the Western Conference teams once a year. Same thing with Zion tonight, of course. Um, so I do think there's an element of that, Brian. But I certainly understand what Brian's going for here. He's going for the circus act. Uh, the one time I saw Nikola Jokic play, that is when they still had Yusuf Nurkic. <laughs> uh, I mean, Jokic, Nurkic. Jokic was the backup for Nurkic, mm-hmm. and they both had really nice. They both had double doubles. And I think the Pacers still lost. Now, we've got the McAfee kicking and throwing a touchdown to Reggie Wayne coming up at one of these games, right? For charity? Remember oh, that? yeah. Yeah, that's... I a, think that's... A, it's the Steelers it's a, game? Yeah, it's one of those Monday nights game. Yeah, I think that's right. Final thing for me, because I told Olivia that I would bring this up on the podcast, because we got into a serious debate about this okay. yesterday. And for those that don't know, Olivia, your girlfriend? Correct. Um, I'm going to put this poll on Twitter, so if you're still listening at this point in the pod, an hour and 12 minutes in, thank you. Go to my Twitter, at Eddie Garrison, and make the right choice. She wants to put up the Christmas decorations. I say no. I say you wait until after Thanksgiving. Your thoughts and where do you stand on this? Friday after Thanksgiving has been a standard. Thank you. Uh, But I will say this, Eddie. Have you seen the weather for this weekend? I have not. supposed to be freezing here in Indy. I think if it gets to below freezing, you can put them up. I will side there. Now, the key thing is if you got any light action you're going on outside, you got to get those up now. Brad Bowen had taught me this well. You got to get the lights out early. You don't have to turn them on, but you got to get them out. You got to get them out. You can't be waiting a little bit later than that. I love Christmas, though. So I'm not too staunch, and they got to wait till Friday. Um, we are reaching November, daylight savings time. It gets darker early. Um, I can side with Olivia on this weekend just because of the weather. Wow. Are you shocked? The audacity. You side with both of us. That's that's not acceptable. Not acceptable, Kevin. Not acceptable. I feel like you're you're not pleased with me. No. Okay. 
All right. We'll have to talk about this off air. Um, he is Eddie Garrison. I am Kevin Bowen. This is Kevin's Corner. Thank you guys for listening. Um, I do want to say this to close out. You know, our numbers would obviously indicate that we are not at the same level that we typically are because I think some people are a little disappointed in the season. Totally understand that. Our numbers are still um, have been very loyal, and, and we appreciate that. Um, I get it. I get it. Um, this is the product, though, that we're talking about right now, and um, we'll try and find some creative ways to continue to keep the content fresh. And I hope you realize that this is where we're at. And you got to be realistic and got to be honest because that's my biggest core belief in this podcast. And I think everybody understands that, but I just wanted to sneak that in there at the end. And again, thank you to everybody for continuing to tune in to the pod. Eddie, thank you. We'll talk to you Wednesday. See you.